special episode of the Brando Cast. God damn it, am I so fucking excited about my guest today. You know, people, one of the saddest things about the goddamn pandemic is this. I have not gotten the chance to go to my beloved Hollywood YMCA, where I've been a member for over 25 years. And one of the best things about going to the Hollywood YMCA is the chance to see my guest today. He is an author, he is a performer, he's an actor, oh, and he also happens to be the drummer of a band called The Dead Kennedys, as well as his own band, Peligro. Ladies and gentlemen, he is fit as a goddamn fiddle, the legendary D.H. Peligro. Brando, hey, how are you, man? Wow, long time coming. Dude. And I miss you. I miss you at the Y because we just don't have it anymore. And now we're forced to go into the park and exercise in other ways, but we keep it moving. I, I honestly do miss seeing you because I'm realizing as I'm seeing you through the technology of Zoom, I haven't seen you in five months, which is, you know, it's bonkers. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. We went out in the beginning of March. We went out on tour. Everything was cool. We're like, blah, blah, blah. we get to uh, Norfolk, Virginia. And they're like, oh, this thing might be going down. Oh, and then we did uh, D.C. And the mandate went down. And they said, uh, hey, you guys, we're going to have to cancel your show at the 930 Club. And we said, fuck you. We're here. We want to get paid and we want to play. And uh, so we played that night. Next night, Philly, they were like, we don't have a problem. Boom, Philly. Then we were going to uh, Brooklyn and no Boston and and then New York. They were like, no bueno, no bueno, man. They send us send us back, and you know, been having a home life ever since. Wait, so you you were actually I, I didn't know this. You were actually on tour with the Dead Kennedys. Yes. Yeah. Oh, fuck balls. Yeah. When the, when the mandate went down, and it was just like, what what what. What is happening in the wide world of chaos? I know we like to create chaos, and <laughs> this is some real chaos. And uh, uh, wow, man, it was it was it was it was different. It was kind of scary, and people. I already had a bandana on because I was like, "Ooh, I have an excuse to look like a gangster." And <laughs> my face, so I had a bandana on, and I was just like, "Fuck it, I'm wearing a bandana." And um, other people weren't quite yet. But the you know the the, the 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 facts were starting to come in and people were starting to like get sick and people were dying and people were in the hospital and it's like wow whoa Boy. were people in your were people in your crowds showing up in masks even back then and I guess this is March right in March no not then no people people in the crowd were were they were just kind of hanging out and. Mm, Really, people hadn't started. You see some people on the streets with masks, yeah, but not uh, not everybody in the show. You know, not everybody. I just stay. I kind of stayed backstage, and Ian Mackay came back for a minute, and because you know he's a legendary DC head from and, uh, Fugazi, from he Fugazi, forgot. and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he has some other band going on with his new girlfriend, and uh, I forget what it was called, but because I was warming up and getting ready to do the show, but uh, yeah, he has something else going on. It's always good to just go out and see the guys who you built this whole thing with over the years and just see them, see how they're doing. Because we lost a lot of people, a lot of people aren't alive, and a lot of people 
have not weathered the storm and uh, maybe don't take care of themselves as much uh, as well as like us hitting going to the YMCA, a little bit of exercise and great yeah. food. And, you know, we got to take care of ourselves. So. Um, a punk rock wreaked havoc on people, as we know, and I'm sure that we will get into that uh, in the Brando cast later on as we talk about your life and your your life in the Dead Kennedys, which I know was incredibly colorful. I've read uh, I've read some things that you've given to me, the history of DH, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. Um, I was also thinking about you guys today because, you know, California Uberalis is one of my favorite songs uh, in the world. And I, as I'm watching videos of uh, unmarked federal uh, officers in camouflage outfits pulling people off the streets of Portland, that literally, that song like literally came straight into my brain this morning. And I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. Um, wow. <laughs> it's come to pass. It's come. It's come. It's here. It's come to pass. And, and, and worrying about Governor Jerry Brown uh, seems quaint. <laughs> very quaint as opposed to Dictator Orangeman himself. <laughs> dictator Orangeman. Well, let me just say this. You look, I don't know what you're doing, but you always look amazing. DH is one of the most fit people you will ever meet in your fucking life. Uh, I have gained, my friend, I think I've gained 20 to 25 pounds uh, in the pandemic because, you know, I don't get to play basketball at the Y. <laughs> It's tough, isn't it? It's tough. Yes, gotta, it's tough. It's a whole new norm because we got to get out there. Now we have to create a space to work out. Like my place where I live, I'm like, okay, well, we got to do something. I get to get the yoga mat out in the morning, mm-hmm. do some yoga, do some abs. And if, before I found this park that has these these little, you know, I like to get on the the, the, the cross trainer uh, yeah. pre-core machine and uh they have little kitty ones at the park, and I'm like, "What are you gonna do? Why you gotta get on?" So I'm like, I'm like on this tiny little thing, and I'm like, "People are running with their dogs," and I'm pretty grateful that that's there because before that, I would just walk. I would just, you know, just walk for a couple miles, man, and just like wherever. Which is also interesting too, because you see a lot more of Los Angeles, California than you would if you were in your car, and even more so on my on my bicycle. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I see, you know, you see, I, you see, I see homelessness a lot, like up in my face. And I'm like, wow, that is crazy. Like all these other home homeless camps around near 8th Street and, and just, oh, man, it's, and, and you see so much dirt and filth because people are just like, oh, it's a pandemic, you know, blah, 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 blah. They don't care. They just throw their masks in the street, throw the gloves in the street, trashes. Sometimes not picked up if it's not everywhere. It's just it's 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 it's, it's crazy, but it's it uh it kind of makes you it kind of makes you think and, and you know like we we still need to do our part. We're still living in this place. Let's not shit where we eat and just make this a filthy fucking world. We still have to take care of what we got, man. You know, one day this thing will be gone and um and um we'll still be here. Yeah, I'm gonna do a I'm gonna do a coffee I'm gonna do a coffee table book of uh of all the masks that are littered in the street. Cause even when I go out walking my dog, you're gonna pass like twenty masks just lying in the gutter. Yeah. You know, yeah. The dogs sniffing around. Yeah. They're they're just everywhere. It's, it's crazy. We need to be more responsible people. 
I hear that. And now let me just say this, this, this little podcast that I do, uh, this is the one thing that is, that is keeping me sane during the pandemic. Cause at least we can do this and the ability to, you know, use the computer to see you, uh, just brings so much, uh, joy to my face. So why don't we play the game of the Brando cast right now, ladies and gentlemen, as you know, I love to go through the history of, uh, rock and roll with my guests, but, uh, my guest today is rock and roll so what we're gonna do is we're gonna i'm gonna lay some bands on on you that dh gave me these are the bands and there's gonna be some goddamn surprises today these are the bands that arguably influence the guy i am talking to today Foghat is an English rock band formed in London in 1971. The band has achieved eight gold records, one platinum, and one double platinum record. Despite several lineup changes, Foghat continues to tour and record after coronavirus and before, of course. Their most notable hits were A Fool for the City, Gank Dang, I Just Want to Make Love to You, and Slow Ride. Wait, which one? Is, what's your favorite Foghat song? I, I am. I just want to make love to you because that's an old blues song. And my uncle, Sam, Sam Carr, was in a band called the Jelly Roll Kings before his passing. And um, they were all of this blues stuff. They, you know, I would just go, I'm like, ah, I'll listen to that blues stuff when I'm older and all that jazz. And uh, yeah, when I'm older. Well, I just started to appreciate like the simplicity of it and, and just the soul, soulfulness of all the blues. And it was just like, you know, the guys would, oh, I just want to make you love to you. And just straight, uncut, no change. This is what I want to do. They, they didn't like put a bunch of flowers and frilly it all up. They just kind of told what was in their heart right there and there. No, there was no, uh, no trying to figure out anything. Um, just, to just, just cut through and told the truth. And then, you know, Falk had did that version of it. And I played in a bunch of garage bands in St. Louis when I was a kid. And, um, we would just, for me, it was just like kind of learn. I, was, I already knew how to play drums, but learning to play with a band and just jam mm-hmm. for hours. It was like, that was one of those songs where you just start off really slow and, and, you know, we had these guitar players, these fragrant guitar players, 20 minute solo guitar players. We had two of them and they would just play these solos and, and we just had fun, man. Okay. Well, so let me bring it back to that. You grew up in St. Louis, right? In St. Louis, Missouri. And now St. Louis, Missouri is a rock and roll town. So I'm not going to age you, but when you were a young kid, that's what was in the air, right? Led Zeppelin, Thin Lizzy, Fog Hats, The Who. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Black Sabbath, um, Bad Company, Blue Oyster Cold, Ted Nugent, Rush. Uh, that is just Midwestern, Midwestern, Midwestern rock and roll. Rock. Matter of fact, St. Louis was one of the, 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 the rock stops for most of the touring bands because I guess they would come from Chicago or Kansas city or wherever they're coming from. It was a main stop. So we oh, did yeah. get to see, we did get to see, uh, loads of, uh, you know, loads of just classic arena rock bands, which was for me, uh, coming from, you know, just the neighborhood I came from was, it was amazing. It was just like a fucking amazing. Like I'd hang out with my friends and we'd be, um, uh, riding bikes or, Throwing frisbees or whatever we were doing, and we go to the Orange Julius at the shopping mall and buy our concert tickets and and wait 
you know, and wait until that day. And that, that was kind of the highlight of the thing. You know? Wow. And, and did you, you put together obviously a little garage band of some of the dudes in the neighborhood? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. The, the guys were, they were, they were older and, um, they just, they just needed a good drummer. So it was me and another guy. Sometimes we'll switch off on drums. Sometimes we'd have two drum kits, which, uh, you know, it was always, there was always a bit of competition. I'm like, Oh, this is going to be a kind of a competitive deal. So yeah, but these, those guys, they, they like had cars and they had like long, one guy did actually have like kind of the, the, the uh, the sort of a Fu Manchu fog hat. I thought that was so cool because I could never have one. And, and long hair and bell bottoms and the whole nine, man. It was just, it was it was the 70s and it was just a time of, uh, ah, let's just, just, just rock out. Let's just, let's just learn how to do this thing and play. And we play in our carport. And as much as people would give me shit in a hard time for playing rock and roll and not playing what's, considered a black type of music or you should do this and you should do that they would all come to the carport and hang out and look and listen and just hang out and like because music just brings people together yeah so that's exactly what they did hang out drink beer and kind of i don't know kind of turned them on the rock and roll way too now did you have a favorite drummer when you were a favorite rock drummer when you were a young dude ah you know i kind of think about that and i'm like did i have a favorite rock drummer I did a, uh, you know, uh, oh, John Bonham, you know, I love John Bonham. I love Billy Cobham. Uh, I was into Neil Peart at first, but then he was just a little too busy and not, uh, I felt like, like groovy, groove oriented enough. Right. You know, I mean, you know, and he has all his, his great stuff and there's no taking away from anything he's done. Yeah. But like those guys, like, you know, Lenny White and John, you know, John Bonham. Um, yeah. And, wow. and, 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 you know, now Dennis Chambers is like one of my favorite drummers too, which. Um, okay. Why am I an idiot? I don't know who, why am I being a dumb? Who is Dennis Chambers? Dennis Chambers. I think he plays or played with Santana. Okay. He, he, he also played with Parliament Funkadelic. He's sort of a session drummer. Did a bunch of stuff with a uh, Billy, um, had a band, I think it was called we with Billy Sheehan and, some of the fusion guitar, he's kind of a fusion drummer. It's like that stuff where you, it's a drummer's drummer, where you aspire to get these, you know, these rolls that seems like they have six arms, two legs, and 12 octopuses playing. And, and, <laughs> and it's just like, whoa, whoa, that and him and, you know, Vinnie Cauyuta. Those guys, I mean, those are the guys who, you know, they just have these crazy chops. Right. And, you know, not necessarily that I want to play like them or anything. I just admi- admire and appreciate what they what they do, what they do. Right. Not, not that it's always for me, but I'm like, hmm. And it's always good, I think, to have something to aspire to, to like, ah, oh, you know, one day I'm, I want to, I want to set up my full kit and start working towards that kind of goal. Yeah, under totally understood. Did yeah. the Garage Band have a name? Ew, that's a good question because I don't. I remember a band with Driver. We were called Driver at one point, and <laughs> wow, it's so long ago. I'm gonna, I'm not to do some research on that and get back to you, right? Because, because what I really, what I really want is for you to say yes. My high school yearbook has a picture of us as a band, and we made homemade T-shirts, and we wrote the name Driver in Sharpie on just white, <laughs> white cotton T-shirts. That's what I want. <laughs> I 
don't wish we were that smart, but th- we weren't we weren't that savvy to making our own t-shirts, and that didn't happen until I got into punk rock. Like then we did everything, like uh, made our own everything. Well, that was but, the whole aesthetic, but, wasn't it? Do it yourself, DIY, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you know, Driver Driver was just one of the bands where you could cut your teeth and sort of learn what to play and what not to play, while giving each other space and yeah. keeping the group going. Yeah. I totally understood. So you're playing Fog Hat. Now, one of the other bands that you gave me, Senor, is one of my favorite old school bands. Dr. Doctor is playing in the background. That means we are listening to UFO. UFO, another influence from Mr. D.H. Peligro. UFO are an English rock band that was formed in London in 1968. Over a career spanning 52 years, the band has released 22 studio albums, 14 live recordings, 16 compilation albums, and an album of cover songs. They achieved moderate success in the late 70s and early 80s with songs like Rock Bottom, Lights Out, Too Hot to Handle, and Dr. Doctor. To date, UFO have sold over 20 million records worldwide. Where did UFO come into your uh, field of existence? That was, hmm. UFO came in where, like, the guitar players, like, we would hang out. Like, I would hang out, like, all day and all night, and, um... You know, there was a time when, you know, when we were kids and the government wanted to integrate schools. So we would get bussed out to the white neighborhoods to oh. go to schools. Okay. But the white kids never got bussed into, uh, <laughs> in, into our school, into the black schools. You know what I mean? So, like, I would meet Tom Sleeman and Mark Lee, and I was already in the band with them. So I was like, oh, well, here's our school. They live right over there. And I would just go and hang with them. And they like, oh, and they had these LPs. And we put on a whole LP on one side and just listen and shred and listen. And and it was like a total socially bonding, fucking heartwarming bond, just a love that I will never, ever forget. Yeah. Um, and a learning experience. And just like listening, like we would go back, he would go back and play this, you know, skip the needle over and play the part again. And, and, and it was just like, I was like, wow, this, this yeah, this is, this is in, in, intense. Like, and they were, you know, they were really shredding on every little part of like what Shanker was playing. I like the bass player Pete Way because his name was Pete Way. <laughs> and, and I was like, Pete Way, wow. And once, here's a little, here's a little criminal story. Oh. Okay. <laughs> I once I worked at this place called the Hacienda, mm-hmm. and um, and it was my birthday coming up. I think it was like 16, 17. and um, and I went in the back storeroom and had all these checks. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna take some of these checks, <laughs> write my name on it, I'm gonna cash a check, and I'm and, and, and I'm gonna have a party, a cake party, like, <laughs> right? But I'm like, I can't use my name. What about? Pete Way. And then they, they asked me for an idea at the bank. I was like, no, I work there. And he just gave me like, it was like $150. And um, <laughs> I, 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 I've, I've since made amends and went back and paid the money back. Oh, and to the, the Hacienda. To the Hacienda. Some none of the people were still working there was like, listen, I, I stole some money from you. And she was like, what? Hello? Let me, I don't, what? Um, well, You're like, it was 1977, lady. 
sounded like she was like 20. So they, they had no clue. I just, I'm sending you the money here. I'm sorry. Oh, oh that is the best. Pete Way. Pete Way. Thank you, Pete Way, for the pate. Oh, my God. That's incredible. And obviously, the other the other dudes that you rang with, they were white dudes. Correct. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah, yeah. Totally, totally. And that's where, you know, like the, the color barrier just fucking didn't make a whole lot of sense to me because I knew yeah. my heart and my soul was in the rock and roll. Yeah. And like the color of my skin shouldn't have anything to do with it, but it did a lot of the times. And it would, uh, you know, make me feel insecure and like I wasn't belonged or I didn't fit there. I mean, you know, we play these lion's halls and uh, just backdoor keg parties and. Yeah. You know, people get drunk off the social lubricant and, you know, everything was cool when you're on stage, when you take a little break, whatever, you know, that's when, you know, people were drunk and they can sort of call you all kinds of names oh. and mm-hmm. kind of N-words and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and then you're like, well, why am I doing this? And you really got to know that you do it because you love, you love the music and you have to weather, I mean, you shouldn't, nobody should ever have to fucking deal with any of that bullshit, but I didn't have to weather the storm because, um, that's kind of the way it was back then, and people were just yeah. You know, you, you were you were a bit of an anomaly. I, 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 you, huh? <laughs> right. That's what the kids are calling it. <laughs> well, you're 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 a black dude who loves fog hat and UFO. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and weird enough, Brando, there was um we had a black guitar player who was left handed and played right handed, mm-hmm. and and he was also a a, a, a bit of a misfit, but. It, he just—he was like Jimi Hendrix and Eddie Van Halen, sort of. Wow! This guy could really, 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 really play, and his taste was was impeccable. But being, you know, me and him and some other people, we we always we would always have to deal with that. You just always have to deal with yeah that, which didn't make it fun. Maybe make you stronger, or maybe make you more tolerant. But uh, that was there was that ugly side of it. But right. uh, on the inside, to play. It was like a high, like nothing, like nothing ever. Right. And, and, and so when you are finding other musicians, you're mm-hmm. really finding your true tribe, <laughs> your tribe of music with, yeah. uh, by playing, by going through this pro by going through this stuff and playing with these people and listening to all these different records from people. Um, what were some of the biggest, if I can ask, like, what was, uh, what was your takeaway about, American teen culture in the seventies as you're as you're doing as you're going for it as you're playing music and playing in these backyard parties. I mean, were you observing and watching and trying to figure out where people were coming from? I mean, what what were some of your takeaways from that? I was observing and, and watching, trying to figure out where, where people were coming from. At the same time, I, uh, a lot of times it was like you know you'd see the boy howdy and teen magazine and and um cream and all that stuff and somehow like i knew well it felt like where i was in that ghetto um it didn't it seemed like that was not that was way beyond something i could ever achieve yeah or grasp yeah like, it just seemed so far away. it seemed to me like you look when we were kids in the projects and you look up over at the st louis they were building the arch Building wow. it. Wow. Right? Yeah. And when I was a little kid, I'd look up and I'd go, whatever that is, that ain't for us. Like oh. we were already like it was like already like beyond second class citizenship. Yeah. And more of uh trying to figure out where you can go to eat food mm-hmm. because it was still kind of segregated in in, in, a, in a sense of like Woolworths. I think you could 
black people could go eat uh, order stuff to go, but you couldn't eat at the counter. Steak and Shake would let you eat at the at the at the counter and yeah. some of the smaller places, but there was still that struggle. Yeah, and 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 you know, and then oh shit, lots of things were happening too. Black Panthers and um, Black Panthers was happening. I I, I I would go eat breakfast every morning from the Black Panther program and lunch, and um, and it was the it was it was uh, the world was sort of. It was just, it was, it was, it was kind of like it is now, except for, except for, uh, it's more intense now and people are a little bit more awoke. Well, you know, I, I have to say, w- w- a couple of weeks ago, there was the news story of the, the white couple, the lawyer and his wife, uh, who stood guard in front of their big mansion with their guns out. And he has an assault rifle and she had a pistol and they were holding their guns at the Black Lives Matter protest that was coming through their affluent neighborhood. And because mm-hmm. of that news story, I learned about how the urban or the urban planning in, in St. Louis was completely set up. Uh, to keep the others out and neighborhood, the specific neighborhood that that family or that couple was living in was the best example of here's how they built affluent neighborhoods and made sure that no poor people came in unless they were working on the goddamn house. So working on, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, my sister lived at, well, my sister told me, she was like, they didn't break the gate down. The gate uh-huh. was already broken. The gate was already open, and they right. just you know, walked in. They just protesting. They weren't worried about these guys. These the doing anything to their house. They were just like protesting. Like this is what we have to say. We want to go say our thing. Yeah. And, and these guys are very awkward looking with those guns. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Somebody, yeah. You better put that thing away, man. You know, <laughs> you know what you're doing. Yeah. It's a miracle that, that, that no one, that no one got shot. It truly is because those are the kind of people that freak out and pull the trigger. And then you have a dead body in the street. And now we've got a whole different ball game. Okay. Different thing, whole different, whole different group. Yeah, let me let me share one. Not to change gears on you, but let me share one nerdy detail about UFO for the people playing at home. I, as you know, my friend who brought me an Iron Maiden shirt from Brazil, uh, uh, that I love Iron Maiden, and Iron Maiden starts every single live show they do, and they've been doing this for years with the UFO song "Doctor Doctor." So it's not just on the, the 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 music that's playing before the band comes on. It's actually part of the show. And when they play Dr. Doctor, they crank it as loud, full volume, full show volume. And that lets the crowd know that it's time. And no matter where you are in the world, the crowd, maiden crowds now sing along with Dr. Doctor as if it's a maiden song. So you will have 25,000 Angelinos or 20,000 people in Mumbai or 20,000 people or 60,000 people in Chile singing Dr. Doctor. And when the song ends, explosion and then maiden hits the stage. So it's uh, that song gives me uh, goosebumps when I hear it. Because when, whenever I hear it, I feel like, oh, Maiden's about to come on. Where are we? Oh, my God. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, let's keep going down. Let's keep going down the road of DH Peligro bands because there's some goddamn good ones. And this is one that I can't wait to talk about. A trapeze. Trapeze were an English rock band from Canuck, Canuck, Staffordshire, back in 1969. The band th- went through a million lineup changes over the years, but some of its notable members include Mel Galley on guitar, Dave Holland on drums, Glenn Hughes on bass and vocals. Some of you might know Dave Holland better as the drummer for Judas Priest and Glenn Hughes as the bass player and vocalist for Deep Purple during the David... 
Coverdale years. Notable Trepe's albums, their debut record, Medusa, and You Are the Music, We're Just the Band. Trapeze, my friend. Holy moly, how did you hear Trapeze? That was another one of those uh, moments of like hanging out with the guys, listening to records, and we were like, what is this? And they had already knew Moxie, Trapeze. Wow. I'm like, and you know, I, I wanted to tell you about the sensational Alice Harvey band, and when I see them, and when I see Slade, and when I see T Rex together, but we won't get off on the tangent on that yet. But um, Trapeze had this. They had this soul and this funkiness, and me and Bruce, the other cat, and, and Tom Sleeman, the, the, the fog hat, uh, Fu Manchu dude, white, white dude, who's our guy, he just loved funky stuff too. And, and Trapeze had this funk rock that we were like, oh my God, this is, this is a groove that we can really have some fun with. And we, we tried to pattern writing some of our songs, but it was really hard to, like, have people listen to original music back then, you know, but um, we would, we would play all these covers and then throw some of our own stuff in there, but they had this solid funky groove that was simple and these, these, these busy little guitars and, and it just rocked. And there were three piece and it, I love Glenn Hughes' vocal. He, yeah. he was a, a vocal maniac. And, and then later on, on like high wire, they had like uh, backing vocals and different people singing on it. And, and those were some of the songs that just formed my 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 musical taste, man. I really, really liked. I I, I just liked um, how they presented that whole that, that those records. Wow. You know, and it, it wasn't that much. It stood out to me from the regular rock record. It stood out. It was different from Bad Company. It was different from 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 like Slade and and, and Deep Purple to me. Yeah. So. That was one of the things we would just listen uh, for pleasure, and then we started getting into like, oh, okay, wow, this is this is this is this is different. That's so funny. I didn't know Dave Holland was the drummer. I, I knew that, but it didn't connect. Like he was a drummer for Judas Priest too. That's right. Wow. Yes, yes, and and people playing along at home can Google Dave Holland got into some trouble later in life, but he was the drummer for the classic period of Judas Priest. When I was into Judas Priest as a young boy in Albuquerque, New Mexico, they were one of my god bands because they came to Albuquerque every single year. We didn't get all the bands. We weren't St. Louis. Uh, Albuquerque did not get the who did not get the stones did not get the the bigger bands, but we got all the metal bands. So that's why that's a, a big reason why your friend Brendan is a metal guy. Uh, cause we just, that they came to town. The other people didn't, you know what I'm saying? I mean, you're, you live, you grew up in a major market. Uh, so you were able to see way more bands than we were, but, um, but Judas Priest was, was one of my God, my God bands there. Oh my God. I love them. Yeah. Yeah. And as far as punk rock goes, we didn't, you know, it, at the, the, the heyday of the late seventies and early eighties, we, we were really only learning about punk rock and people like yourself through the skateboard magazines, you know, because punk bands did, they sometimes came to Albuquerque, but if they did, you really had to know about it. And it yeah, was li- limited yeah. to a small true subset of people who were fucking living that life. You know what I mean? It wasn't like a big open thing and it was only like reading about it in Thrasher magazine and maybe USA network would, would play a 
a Dead Kennedys video way late at night or something like that. It was just like the filter through which we saw that stuff was was just so limited. That's a weird round, wound up to say, like, when did you start to flow towards the punk rock, if you will? Ah, because you're playing, wow. you're playing what we would now call classic rock. Oh, yeah, I know it's classic rock. Oh yeah, you're playing, you're playing slow ride, and I just want to make love to you, and, and lights out. What when does the when does your musical drumming take you to the netherworld? Well, Rondo was about <laughs> 1978. Okay, when I moved to San Francisco. Oh shit. Okay, so what what? What precipitated that move? Well, I was, I just graduated high school. I'm sitting at home. I'm chilling on the couch, uh, probably smoking a joint or something. My sister's like, the phone for you. I'm like, Whoa. <laughs> okay. Picking up the phone, my boy Fred. He's like, Dean, what you doing? I'm like, I'm just watching the gong show, hanging out. <laughs> He's like, Do you want to watch the gong show? Or do you want to be on the gong show? I was like, Huh? The bit stone, and he's like, uh, Look, man, you got to get to San Francisco. There's a scene happening up here right now. I was like, w -w 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 I don't have any money. So, like, get some money, borrow some money, get your drums, get on the bus. And th at the bus, I'm like, like I hadn't traveled anywhere really, other than you know, just doing these little gigs with driver. Um, he's like, Get on the bus, borrow some money, do what you got to do, get here. So, I took my trouble bass drum kit that I had worked my whole life it seemed like to have a matching drum kit because i would have all these different parts that fit a, a double bass drum kit a double bass drum kit <laughs> oh you know because you know when you're coming from the metal scene we used to play judas free songs and guess who was the singer who was you. in all the high notes you me <laughs> oh, I'll have to warm up my voice for that one. Um, right. Wow. Uh, that was that was in another another band called Fred Broke and Darren. <laughs> what, Fred, Fred, Fred Broke, Broke and Darren? And Darren, yeah. I, <laughs> we were, you could tell we were creative geniuses. Oh my uh, god. So I get to sit, I pack all my clothes inside my double bass drum kit because I have suitcases and I'm a moron. And um I get to the bus station and the bus driver's like, hey man, <laughs> you want to pay extra for them, 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 them drum, whatever that is. I was like, sir, I don't have any, please. I was just like, please, sir, I don't have any money, please. Can I go? He was like, man, all right, go on. <laughs> so he let me on, and, and I didn't think, I remember grabbing a peanut butter sandwich, a bologna sandwich, and something in a bag, because it was still school-oriented to take my lunch in a bag, and I was like, I'll be fine with this. You know, eight days later, I was like, oh, I'm starving. It took about four days. We get to San Francisco. Wow. And um, the, the weirdest thing, the phone rings in the bus station, and I don't know why I picked it up, but I did, and it was like, Fred, the guy who told me to come out, and he was like, he said, hey, what are you doing, man? Hang on. We'll be right there. And then two seconds later, he walks in and I'm like, Fred, what, what is going on? And his brother is this tall, bellowing hibanchi with, with, with like a daishiki on and some like ice blue parachute pants and some Birkenstocks and a big sequin scarf. And he's holding a Pomeranian dog named Pal. <laughs> 
and he says, welcome to San Francisco. <laughs> wow. just went, All right, let's go. And you, then we were, <laughs> you landed on Mars. You landed on Mars. From, from the Midwest to Mars. Yes. And, and the thing is, too, though, Brenda, is like, when I walked down the streets, people were just cool. And they were like, hi, how are you? Like, I didn't, I wasn't used to people saying hi to me. Like, really, mm-hmm. unless you knew them, when they were just like, hey, what's up? How you doing? And it was like, they didn't want anything other than to spread the joy and the love. And, and this wasn't the punk rock scene, per se. Yes. Okay. This was like the old leftovers and like... They had a bunch of cat fights with, with, the, with the, there was another guy named Pearl in the band who was kind of the leader because he lived with Janis Joplin. Oh, he had a sh- his name was Pearl, and he had a, a show where he would do all do Janis Joplin stuff at the screaming and all of the it was it was crazy. So I'm like, wow, this I've never seen anything like this. And they'd have these crazy gay bondage parties at night and. I, I would be on acid coming back from Golden Gate Park, and I, it's, I could describe it, but yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to get into it right now. What uh, um, What was your, did you get a job like right away? Did you get some shitty job I somewhere? Did, I did. I, I worked at McDonald's on Market Street. Oh, wow. And, um, <laughs> and, um, what else did I do? Yeah, I worked at McDonald's, and I, and I got a job at the Sun Grove some high-end restaurant where we later get fired because we were on acid and we <laughs> fell asleep underneath the thing where the night porters were supposed to be cleaning up the place and then we're just sleeping. And then I got a job that as a bicycle messenger, which matched my energy. Yeah. Um, just running around town. Yeah. But, but to go back that like they, the band was fighting a bunch and nothing went anywhere. What was that and, band's name? What was the name of that? Was that it was called Pearl? It was, it was called, called Pearl. Pearl. Okay. Gotcha. Pearl. Pearl. Right. So then I kind of like got a van and, and lived on the streets for a while and wow. lived on uh, Shipley Street. And one day I'm sleeping in my van and these guys knock on the door and they're like, um, hey, man, how you doing? I see you got a drum kit in there. You, you play drums. I was like, what? Are you guys, what? I was like, yeah. And I get out and I have these big overalls on, you know, because I'm from the Midwest. And, and they're like, this one guy looks kind of like Joe Strummer. He looks like a young Joe Strummer. And he's he just like got his gear and these suspenders and these pleated pants and his hair is like this and blah 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 and he's got one suspender coming across and he's got this badge on I'm like what's going on and it's like hey you want to you want to be in our band we we need a drummer and I was like what kind of stuff are you into you know because I'm into the priest <laughs> <laughs> and they were they were like uh, it was a pause it was very awkward and they're like punk rock. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, no, 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 no. I don't, oh, no, no, I couldn't. Because everything I'd heard about punk rock was just like puke and beer and safety pins in the cheek and all, uh, you know, just yeah. stuff it's, that was very weird for, for a Midwestern guy, even though I was kind of, I was into Iggy Pop at the time. Um, so then, and they said, um, well, do you like punk rock? And I was like, no. It was like, well, you like the Ramones? I was like, no. They're like, have you heard the Ramones? Like, well, no. <laughs> like, oh, come on in. So they played me the wrong sex, sex pistols, television, uh, Radio Birdman, B fifty two, like Devo, like we just went on a listening, and I was just like, 
I love this. I love this. I love this stuff. And I just joined their band the next day, and we were playing around San Francisco for for a while until I got the uh, DK audition. Uh, who? What was that band? It was called the SSI. The SSI. <laughs> what did SSI stand for? Supplemental Security Income. <laughs> that's oh what, my God! That's what in San Francisco back in the day, like. There's loads, loads and loads of tweakers and loads of gay people. They found ways and ways to beat the system. And and the hippies are still living in the hate. <laughs> yeah, some of them. Well, some of the hippies got wise and bought some buildings in the hate. Oh, and, and like they're doing good. Actually, one of the guys who I worked for bought building, and I'm just like, wow, man. They, I mean, they're worth millions of dollars. Mill, you know, millions, millions, millions. Well, now, I mean, now forget San Francisco. The is just an island of wealthy people now. I mean, it's it's. I mean, come on. That's talk about Mars. It's Venus it, now. It's, yes, <laughs> it's Uranus. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, no, it was that before. But anyway, um, what? The, yeah, man. I yeah. Uh, so so many people would uh, go and apply for SSI. That um, you you know people would stay up for days on speed and go in and do yeah. an interview and just. <sighs> Trying to prove that they're crazy, right. so they can did, did you look for work this week, sir? Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, yeah. That, that's amazing. Well, let me ask you. Um, let me ask you if SSI ever played a song by Black Oak, Arkansas, because it's another band that DH threw at for me this morning. Black Oak, Arkansas is an American Southern rock band named after the band's hometown of Black Oak, Arkansas. The band reached the height of its fame in the 70s with 10 charting albums released in that decade. Their style is punctuated by multiple guitar players and the raspy voice and onstage antics of vocalist Jim Dandy Mangrum. Jim Dandy, who a lot of people think uh, influenced David Lee Roth. Another band that I would have never... I, I, I'm a rock guy, and I only know I only know the song Jim Dandy. But that was another oh. band that you listened to. Yeah, hard and nasty. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh yeah! Wow, and that that's a product of another one of those things where they constantly came through St. Louis, and like I would see them, and I was like, Jim Dandy was quite the front man. I would say not only did he, I thought he influenced David Lee Roth, but also I would say. Early Chili Peppers, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Anthony kind of—he uh-huh. uh, had a dandy vibe happening when mm-hmm. I first saw them. Uh, right, and I, and I bet you first saw the Red Hot Chili Peppers when it was Flea, Anthony, two other guys at Fairfax High School or something. Correct? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Anthony was running around doing the thing, but no, we didn't play. Uh, <laughs> we didn't play any Black Oak Arkansas. Right. SSI did not play Black Oak Arkansas. <laughs> no. But we did play Little Richard and Keep a Knocking, and they let me sing. Or maybe well, I had a voice, so yeah, they let me sing. And they knew I was a Little Richard fan as well. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And we, we would we would do that song, and and you know they just turned me on the political stuff, and just you know my mind was just open enough to where I was like, well, how does this work? How does that work? How did you know? I was just kind of learning about life and politics and. And it really a trial by fire. So, I mean, I just got so much more from punk rock. And, and you know, that solidarity of people and different factions of the movement. And uh, we were protesting back in the day, like 
almost weekly because there was always something. And people in San Francisco never really sit, sat still. Mm-hmm. Berkeley was right across the way, and Oakland was right across the way. You know, uh, Black Panthers have been fighting over there, and, mm-hmm. and, and uh, like people would go protest in Berkeley, uh, protest in, 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 in San Francisco, and and um, later on, they can use part of it because we play uh, benefits for for um, <clears throat> Harvey Milk and yeah and uh, Gay Day Parade. We were just all involved in like most things in San Francisco. So, w- did SSI give you your first opportunity to also travel around the West, or did you guys did you guys have the opportunity to play Seattle and Portland a lot and Tacoma or come down to LA? Is that your first experience traveling with the band in SSI? Yeah, with, with SSI, we, I mean, we didn't, we played in LA, we, we opened up for X at the Hong Kong Cafe. Wow. Which was really quite amazing. Wow. Um, and, you know, tiny little place, but yeah, fun, 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 fun. We, uh, it, but we didn't travel and tour that much. We mostly played in San Francisco. And like I said, down here, and we were trying to make a record so we could, you know, release it because that was that was kind of the goal. And after a while, the band fell apart, and I ended up living in the valley and had to get a job. And the San Fernando Valley, the San Fernando Valley. Oh, okay. Yeah. So wait, are you saying that you lived in the San Fernando Valley before you joined the Dead Kennedys? Before I joined the Dead Kennedys, SSI came down here. Oh, to okay. Play, to play that gig. Yeah. And never left. <laughs> and yeah, I got yeah, we got stuck. We got stuck. They went back, and I was like. Uh, I'm just gonna stay here for a while, and then I got a job, and then I'm, you know, I was like, ah. Then okay, let me let, let me ask. Do you remember where you lived in the San Fernando Valley? Because I love this kind of shit. Ah, uh, Lameda, <laughs> Lameda Street, Lameda. Ooh, was it North? I know it was Lameda. So you're in North Hollywood on Lameda. Was it like Lameda and Lancashire or Lameda and Tahunga? Lameda and Kawenga? <laughs> Ooh, I did live in, uh, well, I did live on Kawenga and Magnolia uh-huh, later yeah. on. Yes, you but, did, sure. <laughs> yeah, but, but that was, it was like Lameda and Lancashire, I think. Okay, because that, that's, that's where I live right now. That was it? Yes, uh, two, two blocks from Lameda. There's a, actually a big, giant, gorgeous uh, Italian mansion on, on Lameda. So anyway, that's hilarious. What was your, what were some of your shitty jobs in L.A.? You know what? I got a job at uh, the Chevron station um, <laughs> on, on Taft, right across uh, Winnetka, right across from Taft High School. Holy shit, yeah. <laughs> During the gas crunch or the gas where they would, like, you you could only get gas or your license plates on every other day. Yeah, um, I got that, and and like they were like Larry was like, wow man, all these people living here, you're the only one who pays rent. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, well, that's what you're supposed to do, it man. There was something ingrained in me about like doing the right thing and and you know holding up my end. Yeah. So, a lot of people didn't see it that way. Okay, so but you're working at the Chevron station way out there in the valley. Now what yeah. do we do? What are we doing with the drums? Are we still are you still hooking up with people? Are you still filling in for people? What are you doing? No, I don't even did I even have I don't think I had my drums. No, I had to have had no, I did have them. I don't know where they were. Wow. I don't I remember 
not playing for a while and just kind of seeing other bands and going to some shows and just kind of taking it all in again before I would go back up to San Francisco. Okay, so you're, but you're doing the, the punk scene in L.A. then, the classic yeah. punk scene yeah. in L.A. And it, right, which was like punk and pop and go-go's and early go-go's and yes. screamers and uh, weirdos. Weirdos, minimal man, uh-huh. uh, you know, later on it would be circle jerks and, 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 uh, black flag and all that. But, um, yeah, these, that's the cool thing about it. It was like, especially in San Francisco at the Dep club, there would be just experimental bands, no wave bands, people who couldn't play their instruments and, and, and ska bands and reggae bands, and just like the punk scene just sort of welcomed all of it. Yeah. It was just like, a smorgasbord of new stuff and it was all pretty much original stuff and and the beauty of that too was playing in a deaf club was like uh people were deaf and you know because it was a club for the deaf wow and, and they got off on the vibrations and they loved yes. that you would people would come in and and they'd be sitting there doing sign language and they just love this they just love the scene and next thing you know you got deaf punks hanging out and that was the main state for, for uh, the main club for ugh, every punk band. You know. Wow, that's a, that's incredible. The the other beautiful thing about L.A. is that Van Halen is playing the whiskey, and then the next night the the Dickies are playing the whiskey. Beautiful, right? 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 right. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, yeah. it's just yeah. so weird. Did you ever hang out at Disgraceland, or did you ever um, did you befriend <laughs> some of these other sort of legendary? Well, you know all these people. These are all these people yeah. are your friends. Yeah, 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 yeah. So how do you I, fi- so how does the Dead Kennedys happen? Well, when I went back to San Francisco, there was talk of like getting the SSI back together, and we were trying to get it together, and people were sort of spread out. So I'm just hanging, and I would just go to some of the normal places I would go, Mabuhay Gardens, mm-hmm. uh, the Fab Mab. Uh, um, Broadway ha- wasn't happening yet. There was still the Deaf Club, and I would just kind of hang out and go to go to clubs. And one day um, I was at the Mab, and uh, East Bay Ray said, hey, we're looking for a drummer. Um, do you, would you want to audition? And then, like, I was like, sure, let me get your number, blah, 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 blah. And somehow I got a, a record, the first record, and um, – and I'd heard a bunch of the songs because I did, but when I got it, when I moved back to San Francisco, I got a job working in a gay bondage hotel, mm-hmm. building, building all these beds and straps and stirrups and torture as, devices. Was, as, you, as you do. As you do, as you do. And <laughs> one day I was like, I, 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 when they asked me, you know, when you say, I was like, you know what, man, I got this insecurity, which is deep rooted in St. Louis. And like, you ain't shit and you're not supposed to be shit. And you know, they're not going to fucking take you because you're black, man. They're not, they're mm-hmm. black. They're not, you're not getting in that. You're not, what are you thinking? My mind was telling me this and, and I was working on the beds and I cut my finger on something. And I was like, fuck this. And, and, uh, I had this girlfriend at the time, from really bossy girlfriend from Philadelphia. She's like, you better fucking go to Phoenix. <laughs> I was like, oh, well, I was going to go anyway. But I went, and um, one day Biafra wasn't there, and we played, and uh, Klaus and, and, and Ray just, they were like, that's our guy. That's wow. definitely our guy. Damn. And then I came back again with them, and we would play Insight and killed it. 
and the rest is history. The rest, the rest, the rest is history. So, so let me ask you one sort of final question as we round third base here. Uh, when you were warming up with the the dudes from the Dead Kennedys, did you ever play twenty five hours a day by yesterday and today? Oh, no, by then it was like taboo to be talking, even talking about like rock music. It's just like, like that's so weird. Like you get into a scene and now all this stuff you learned, like you can't talk about that. You don't talk about that. That that's rock. That's 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 a whole other era. We we're trying to do this. We're doing that. You know, and and, and it actually didn't. After a while, it didn't come up. <laughs> well, let, let me just tell. Let me just tell the people that Mr. Peligro was a fan of yesterday and today. Now more commonly known as YNT. They're an American hard rock heavy metal band formed in 1974 across the bay from San Francisco in Oakland, California. The band released two studio albums as Yesterday and Today in the 70s. Then they shortened their name to YNT for several albums beginning in 1981. The band toured extensively in the 70s and 80s, building up to headliners while still opening for bands like Wild Cherry, ACDC, and Kiss. And I think I saw YNT at least five different times when they opened up for metal bands in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Summertime girls. <laughs> I wasn't, I didn't like them as much when the summertime girl, I didn't like them then. I, I was like, yesterday and today. Yes, like, understood. Right. Leonard Hayes <laughs> with his fast foot and, and David Minichetti, like, like, Sure, I listened to a lot of guitar because it was like hanging with these guitar players, and <laughs> his leads were so tasty back then in the day. Yeah, understood. I thought, I thought the bass player was, was was busy enough, but not too busy. Bill Kenmore was his name, right? <laughs> yeah. And, well, uh, <laughs> it's so hilarious because I Joey, Joey Al's was uh, was 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 my, was my boy. Was wow. my boy. And now, after listening to you know just going through life. And then moving to San Francisco, I was like, wait a minute. They're from Oakland, and Oakland is right over there. It's like <laughs> sort of my like childhood like hero band was ready or, or from Oakland. And then I thought about it. I'm like, Oakland was not that nice of a place back then. It was kind of the murder capital of the world. Like, right. A yeah. lot of shit was going down there, man. And uh, yeah. to be in a band and be a bunch of white dudes coming from oh, it's just it's just it it's weird. But yeah, man, um, I just love passing time listening to him and just listening to that record over and over and over and alcohol. Oh, okay. Alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> I'll break it down to you. There was it was that first record and um their second record. The first and second record. Those are the two records that um Understood, because I, I didn't see them until I, I swear to God they opened up for Sammy Hagar solo in uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico. Oh wow! <laughs> or maybe Triumph. It might have been Triumph and yesterday and today. <laughs> but again, that's that again. That's all that we were getting in Albuquerque in the early '80s. You know, because I started going to shows there in Albuquerque, in 1980. You know, Van Halen, Van Halen, Women and Children, Rush. Permanent Waves, ACDC, for those about to rock, you know, Ozzy, Dio, then it's over for me. Then then that's all that I'm doing. But again, I love the punk rock, but, you know, I, it was it was way too dangerous to go to a, a punk rock show in Albuquerque if you were like 
less than 16 years old. You know what I mean? Cause it was yes. dangerous kids. Yeah. It yeah. was the, it was the most way out of the most way out kids that were mm-hmm. listening to black flag, dead Kennedys. You know what I mean? Circle jerks. It was just, they were like out there. Yeah, if you could find a place, if you can find a venue to go to, like um, right, exactly. You know, there weren't there like, weren't venues. There were, yeah, there were, there was maybe some, but you have to find it through maximum rock and roll, and like you said, writing letters and writing you know, letters. Isn't that crazy, make, dude? Isn't that crazy? Letters, bro. Letters, letters, and, and fanzines and fan and fanzines. Yeah, that's how you kind of knew what was going. That's how you knew where to go, or you can order a single. Or order, a, you know, a, a single. I don't even know if you could order cassettes yet, but you could definitely order a single. And, well, um, you could tape. You know what we were doing. You know, we were borrowing records from friends, even oh, though, okay. even though the the sign says no home taping. You know, you're borrowing a record from friends and you're taping it on your shitty little, you know, home stereo system, right? That's what I was doing. You know, or, or or taping the King Biscuit Flower Hour off the radio on Sunday nights. Oh yeah. Wow. Well, listen, my friend, we've been talking for an hour. Oh, we my God. Been, we have been talking and having a goddamn blast for one full hour of the time. So let me just ask if there's anything that you would like to uh, wrap up with, uh, any any final thoughts that you have about uh, sort of those early influences on your life and where you are now. Or, you know, I'll just give you the floor for a second and we'll wrap it up. It's true. I, you know, I just really wouldn't change anything about how I grew up and how, how I came through because it just, it, it's instrumental in helping making me the person that I am and uh, just keeping an open mind and, and learning stuff along the way. I mean, uh, there's just so many doors closed in so many areas and like life for me that uh, music was always like the open door and the open highway. And I was never afraid to really try new things musically. Like it, um, it really kind of helped me to grow up and like, be, you know, be responsible. Like you have to be band rehearsal on time and you maybe have to rehearse or you have to rehearse before. And I learned how to write songs and learn things about politics and, and, uh, and about uh, working with other people and oh, dealing with different, wow. different, different, uh, different personalities. Because you're on the road with somebody and something jumps off, it's like you gotta start learning how to deal with it and, and uh, talk about it. Which you know, because um, you have toured, uh, you have toured this country in a van, correct? In, in a van, <laughs> yeah, in a van, yeah, yeah. And that is that, that is all, and so in in the summer too. But, uh, sort of a, well, there was one time when we did with no air conditioning. It was, we called it the Sweatbox Yo-Yo Tour because you'd you, be you in Florida one day and then you know, and the next day you're in Kansas. So you're like, which is like you're all over the map. I'm like, who set this up? <laughs> <laughs> Some blind guy just throw a bunch of thumbtacks at the map. Like, I don't know what happened, but yeah, you just have to deal with uh, people. And, 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 and yeah, musicians are crazy. Yeah, yeah, crazy, and they get crazier. Wow, that's amazing. Well, listen, my friend, I am just beyond grateful that you have spent uh, this hour with me. Uh, It is so tremendous to see you through the uh, modern technology of Zoom. (laughs) Uh, And and I I can't, first of all, selfishly, I can't wait until we can go back to the Hollywood Y again. And I'm not not joking about that because I need it. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. I went there. I went over there. You did. 
And the, I went there and they were, you know, they were letting homeless people like do what, I don't know what they, I think they were giving out food. Yes. They told me, no, that it's not open yet. And you could go to the uh, Anderson Munger Y over in Koreatown here. Okay. Now they've just shut that down again. So I'm yeah. like, oh my God. But yeah, I do really, really miss. You know, we loved it, man. We and loved you it. weathered the storm playing basketball with all them knuckleheads. <laughs> yeah, yeah I know. Oh, I miss the camaraderie. You know, because for me, the the great thing about that wonderful place is it's a it's a place where if you if you stay there long enough, like you and I have, you get to be friends with people like you and I are, and it's a it's a gift of the, of being consistent and showing up there. And it's a, it's a it's a microcosm of Hollywood. It's every ethnicity. It's young. It's old. It's rich and poor. It's uh, you name it. They're all there at the Y, and I, and oh, I just yeah. love it, and I, and I miss it. And that ancient old haunted building is it haunted really i've been told that because i think back in the not a joke i think back in the day like like in the 20s or 30s it was a hotel and i was told that there was a murder in the base in the basement and uh one of the trainers there bernard who i know you know uh told me that yeah people have heard like clanking late at night and the uh the victim of that murder as uh you know lurking around the basement <laughs> he, he says wow all right again my friend i'm so grateful for the time that we spent and uh, and i can't wait to see you you soon and to yeah. the rest of you thank you so very much for listening to the brando cast we are growing exponentially uh please like subscribe leave reviews on apple because uh, we're going to the promised land. And so, to the next time, cats and kittens. I am Governor Jerry Brown. My heart smiles and never frowns. Soon I will be president. Got a power will soon go away. I will be fearless.